Hello and welcome to another episode of the Feminine Uncut podcast. I'm Juana, your host, life coach and founder of thefeminine.com, a digital platform dedicated to women all over the world. We champion a new paradigm of how to take care of yourself as a woman, the feminine way. And actually today we'll decrypt, we'll demystify what the feminine way really means. So stay tuned because this makes the topic of our next two episodes and it's worth listening. The online programs created by The Feminine are the embodiment of my coaching method, which spans over 16 years of experience, and it is definitely very influenced by my personal journey. It brings together a tried and true body of work with the intention to meet all your questions, concerns, and curiosities, and really define a new paradigm of self-care, self-love, and self-worth for women. Curious to explore more? Start your journey by just jumping to thefeminine.com slash sacred space. It is our sacred space meditation, the alpha and the omega of the journey, because everything that is feminine starts with the heart. The sacred space of the heart meditation is just bedrock of anything you desire or want to manifest. And I've created this meditation specially to do it every day. It's easy. You just tune in and start living the feminine way. So moving on to the episode 26 of the Feminine Uncut podcast, I have here my uh, partner with me, Jana. Let's start. What have you prepared for us today? She's going to drop a lot of questions on me and uh, I'm going to answer about me and my personal journey and how the feminine actually defined itself. Hi, Juana. Hello, everyone. I don't know if you remember very well, but we closed the previous episode of Uncut by promising to our listeners that we're going to do another follow-up on career and divine gifts because everybody has questions about divine gifts and career and how you can bring them together in a functional way. So this podcast, I would like us to start with you telling us how you tapped into your divine gifts and how this tapping influenced your career. And I think uh, your personal example would be very useful because many of us still are very unclear on what divine gifts actually look like and probably live with the uncertainty, can we really use the divine gifts and make a living out of them or are they just a good hobby? So let's start from your beginning. You know what beginning means to you, so you choose the beginning and I will just follow up with questions depending on where I feel I should go deeper. Yeah, you can always uh, interrupt and uh, ask some questions. Well, the beginning is really the beginning for me because I was 18 years old. I was just uh, finishing high school and moved uh, into Bucharest, which is the home capital of my native country, Romania. And I was moving there to literally start uh, my university degree and um, dropped on my plans to go to France <laughs> for university because I fell in love. So, you know, like I fell in love, I moved to the capital of my native country and uh, here very soon into my degree, I went with my best friend who was a psychologist to this transformational course. I didn't have any idea of what that means or what that meant back then. But I was a very curious person and very open and I just wanted to try new things. 
So I ended up in this workshop, which was really a big workshop with 300 people in the room with a very bold, cool, independent woman in front of them who was the facilitator. And I looked at her and I fell in love with her, with how she was handling things, with how she was addressing issues for people and how she was coaching them. So basically when I was like 18 and a couple of months, I just totally fell in love with being a coach. And I pursued this career from that moment on. Like I went to that lady and I said, I don't know who you are, what you do and how I can learn from you. But this is my dream come true. I know it, I feel it, and this is what I want to do. And she directed me towards the director of the headquarters of the Romanian branch, because it was a multinational American company that was doing transformational workshops. And this is how my coaching career began. And uh, this woman uh, didn't really think, you know, when I was 18, I just went into her office and I said, this is it, I'm staying here, I want to learn. She didn't really believe me and she was like, okay, so I'm going to throw up the biggest challenge you can ever have or we we are having at this current moment. And if you're really committed and have this drive, then you're going to stick to it and then you're going to be, you know, prove that you are here on the path. Do you feel now at this moment with all your experience and background, do you think that the magnetism that had drawn you at that point towards this type of, of coaching was you tapping in your gifts? Do you think the magnetism came exactly specifically from, from the divine gifts? Totally. And I think it came from my personal mission. But at that moment in time, I had zero way to define this as such. I was just, you know, struck by lightning and just went for it. I didn't know that that meant my divine gifts or that that meant my career or that was very connected to my soul mission. Zero connection to that. I was just passionate about it. I was fully alive. I was working 12 hours a day and I had zero experience of effort. And I did that for seven years in a row. I was mad. I was crazy. I was just, that was the only thing I was living, breathing, feeling, seeing. And I had a huge success. I was a prodigy child and um, actually met the challenge way more than that person. She actually threw me a workshop and said, we're currently having 100 people in the workshop. You should do 400. And I did 450. And even to this day, people ask me, how did you do it? You were an 18-year-old who had zero knowledge or zero capacity. I don't know. I don't know would be the answer. But if I look back at who I was being, I was living, breathing the passion of making a difference in the world and contributing to people. So I was being that passionate self every second of the whole project. And that passion stick with me. Yeah, that was actually my next question. Uh, how long did the honeymoon uh, last? The first, the honeymoon is still here. <laughs> honeymoon is still here, although, you know, like, We're, we're having a 16-year marriage now <laughs> between me and my goal and my mission and my passion. And I've gone through the ups and downs of any long-standing career with motivation and lack of motivation, with being tired and overburned to being excited and, you know, all these phases of renewal. But the honeymoon is still here in the sense that it still very touches me 
to the core of my being when I can see somebody's face light up because I facilitated a space in which their life shifted. That just touches me to the core. And it touches me to the core to be authentically connected to other human beings and make something more and possible for life itself, not just for me and that person in the conversation. I think highlighting the the organic and the natural ups and downs is very useful because probably many of us have this ideal impression that once we find our gift, everything is pink and sunshine and uh, hearts and uh, glossy, but actually it's not like that. From what you say and from what I feel while listening to you is that actually your gifts can be very challenging. Oh yeah. And actually what was really funny and I would have never even guessed is I've done that project, which is like a huge success and it skyrocketed my, my career. I was sent to the States. I was moved in the headquarters of the San Francisco office. Uh, I was, you know, taken into this very premium, high-end, uh, 50 trainers group. I started being coached by five top coaches in the company. It skyrocketed my life. But the moment I actually had the success and saw those people in the room and I was at the mic and people were acknowledging me and I was looking at this 460 people in the room, I hit depression, <laughs> like straight straight on and I I was like looking at that success and I was like oh my god I feel so disconnected and so depressed what's going on and I was I was afraid and I didn't know why I was afraid because it felt like that was it and it happened and then I didn't feel anything so it was like a big breakdown immediately after I hit some very successful milestones and the breakdown was connected to uh, first of all owning the success which can be challenging and then really sinking in that that's what I want to do, you know? And the depression came from, and now what? Like I've hit a lot of, you know, impossible objectives that I put myself into. I've proven I've done it, now what? Because the next step was about me defining myself as a coach. It wasn't about meeting the challenge for somebody else. It was about defining who I was and it started a whole new stage in my career which was a developmental stage where I had to learn from scratch the trade because you know you have the passion and you have the divine gifts or you have the the drive but you don't have the skills the skills are hard the skills are hard in any area I had like a five-year long training where I just hit every single shadow I could possibly hit had to encounter different challenges that were totally out of my comfort zone and really put myself to the test of the excellence and performance in that particular trade. And I was like going down the roller coaster again and again and again. So I could definitely say that my training lasted around seven years. Like that was my university. <laughs> I did a classical university in the same time. But literally, I studied uh, coaching for seven years and being trained and teaching and facilitating for people. So it was like theoretical and practical in the same time. And it was a lot of hard work and very uncomfortable. How did you overcome the challenges of these six years that came when you learned your, your trade? And 
what were the resources that now you f- you know that helped you in defining yourself and in professionalizing your divine gifts well i think it's choice and commitment and i think these two things are medicine in any area i think that you have to at some point choose something and stick to it because excellence doesn't come from changing your mind from one day to another when you're a child you can change your mind you're a doctor now and you can be a painter tomorrow and i think that's very healthy in the childhood energy but as an adult you have to at some point like really say okay what am i choosing and am i going to give it my 10 year lifespan of trading and learning and experimenting and going with the failures of that trade and really kind of grasping it because it takes 10 years at least and i'll jump a little bit in the future but we'll address it at that point i found another divine gift at some point and uh, that's totally disconnected from spirituality and coaching which is painting and it came out of my healing journey and it has the same type of passion and i feel like i'm struck by lightning you know like i'm happy i'm centered i'm aligned with who i really am i feel that when i paint and i was like really sad when i tapped into this divine gift because i i was like almost done with my 30s i'm like already in my mid 30s and i'm successful in my coaching career i you know i'm competent and it takes 10 years to even get to the point of becoming competent right so i was like oh my god maybe i was a painter the whole time <laughs> maybe my whole life was about painting and i freaking blew it and <laughs> you know like where what am i doing with my life and then i had to choose you know am i going to drop everything and start painting in my 30s and hopefully i'll become famous and rich well no not really <laughs> you know i might be very talented at it it might even be my divine gift one of my divine gifts but looking straightforwardly in my life i wasn't ready to give it uh, 10 years of the roller coaster of failure and success until i could prove that i could be a renowned painter or whatever you no know? it was just me and then i had to reach shoes again that you know my main career the one that i'm going to make a living out of is my spirituality and my coaching trade and so it's choice i would say it's choice definitely yeah, and this distinction is very useful because it really pinpoints how one uh, makes a rational and a mature choice from tapping into his or her gifts and really making it a profession and keeping it just as a hobby so choices on at the basis of uh, of everything you weren't working with the feminine at that moment in your life no oh no i was totally immersed in masculine principle and in the company was totally masculine it had the structure the rigidity the logic it was all about numbers and performance and integrity and accountability and leadership i was conducting leadership programs five months intensive very hardcore leadership programs very tough all the women around me were as tough <laughs> as men <laughs> it was an equal uh, company it didn't have more men than women but everybody was masculine like the dominant energy the of the dominant business. energy the dominant principle of work how we were conducting our business 
how we were looking at excellence and performance, it, and it sprang from a man. The person who invented it was a, was a man. And I don't have any issues to, to tell who that was. It was Werner Erhardt and the company was Denmark Education, for those who are sometimes curious. curious. Um, it was very masculine. And the first seven years of my career, and it still is masculine, was really training myself in how to be the most performant leader I could be. Even if I was wearing a skirt, I was still totally 360 degrees a man, thinking, acting as a man. And was there a point when you started to get a sense of that being a problem? Because now everybody talks about feminine leadership and about women empowerment and uh, about self-care and about uh, everything related to that. But back then, that was not a topic. Yeah, nobody we was were, talking about everybody it. was just talking about transformation and coaching was still not in America but internationally speaking Europe Asia was still a brand new concept because when we were traveling to Europe or to Asia or Australia and we were conducting introductions or programs it was like Chinese for people in America it spread in the 60s and it was like already there as a regular conversation Uh, no, definitely not. It was about self-development and becoming more and working with your limitations and reaching the impossible and be the creator of your life, which actually meant leadership mm -hmm. for this paradigm, for coaching. So no, I had zero reference for the feminine at that point. But funny enough, what really was a game changer for me in my career, in my personal journey, was a feminine question. Which is? Well, I reached in a... Because I, I was saying that I was a prodigy child and I like really performed very quickly. I was the youngest in the history of the company to reach at that level of performance. You know, so I very soon came to be interviewed for the last phase of the training, which was like, a miracle for everybody, including me. <laughs> and uh, in that phase of the interview process, uh, they asked me if I would be willing to really put my career first and consider not being a mother. Okay. And uh, that was a very tough, strong, profound question. And uh, it just struck such a chord in me that I just made a huge step back. Although for the last seven years, I was preparing myself for that interview and for that commitment and for whatever that entailed. And uh, that was the moment when I, when I said, well, maybe I don't really know. <laughs> and I don't really want to give an answer because first of all, I was too young to even be put in that situation and it really felt inappropriate. But beyond that, it was literally, well, I don't really feel that that should be my life, like choosing between my career and my, my motherhood. Why can't I have both of them? And why don't I feel that I can have both of them? And why don't I feel safe to even engage in the conversation? So it struck some chords in me. This motherhood issue actually was a very personal issue. I didn't know back then it was a personal issue, me being a mother. 
so I think it kind of like hit my my theme, my personal theme, and that just like whoop. It awakened me to something that I didn't even know I I was dealing with somewhere hidden, somewhere subtle, deep down in the grounds of my psyche. And uh, I actually said no. You know, it was that opportunity of saying yes, and I said no, which was crazy. <laughs> but I do crazy stuff. And um, I took a sabbatical year <laughs> out of the blue. <laughs> it's like, well, here goes my seven years of training and hard work. Goodbye. Goodbye. Let's start fresh. What do you do? I have no idea. I'm just gonna go have tango lessons, <laughs> which was totally very feminine, actually. So I started my sabbatical year and decided to travel, meet other spiritual processes, other teachers, other masters, kind of like expand and broaden my expertise. And I just started doing things that were connected to meditation, painting, dancing, and it it was totally rational at that moment. It was totally insane. But I just did it. I felt it. That was like I was called to do that. I went for it. And then that was the beginning of the second stage. So you allowed yourself to drift or you were like, I'm going to Antarctica to meet my higher self. You know, like many of us, when we decide to take a sabbatical something here, we say, I need to go to Antarctica to meet my higher self. No, I was going to Antarctica to meet my higher self. Oh, you knew you were going to Antarctica. Yeah, because I, I felt the no of this is not good for me to move forward with this. I felt the no and then I knew and I felt and I was able to have the courage to admit to myself that I wasn't fulfilled doing what I was doing and that it didn't have enough depth and I wasn't really connected to the depth of me and I wasn't facilitating that level of depth to other people that I was coaching. That's something that you felt it in your belly or in your head? No, I felt it in my being. It wasn't even belly, head, I just felt it in my heart. And I wanted to answer the question, uh, what makes me happy? Because I really distinguished I wasn't happy. So the trigger was motherhood, but literally it, it skyrocketed me into the conversation, you know, what makes me happy? And if I don't do that, because I really know that I shouldn't be doing that, shouldn't following on this career, anymore what am I doing and I didn't know what I was doing so I was in a blank spot and I in a way it felt like I can't do anything so what am I gonna do but you had an objective you had a, a sort of a an intention I had an intention but it wasn't about my career I had the intention of meeting God <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> I even made like a intentional manifesto I said you know I give you one year This year I'm going to really do something spiritual very intensely and with a lot of integrity because I knew that type of work from my career background. And I started a book called The Course in Miracles. It's a very hardcore book. It's very spiritual. It's very hard to finish it. It has 365... It's like more difficult than the Bible. <laughs> yes. It has 365 meditations, one meditation each day. And I said to myself, God, I'm giving you one year. 
I really have to know if I'm an atheist or uh, I believe in you. I don't know. I've never put that question really authentically to the table. This is my moment. I want to see, I want to feel, I want to meet you. And I'm going to give myself this practice as a way to get there. And Marion Williamson really did a lot of Course in Miracles explanations. It's a, it's a really profound encoding, you know, of your personality and your ego. So I did that and it just started my spiritual journey. You see, you spoke about the turning point and all of us go through a turning point in our lives and hit a, a rock bottom a rock bottom when we really don't know what to do next. And many of us allow ourselves to just drift without knowing what we are doing and how to make it work and how to make it meaningful and useful. Or we just make a compromise and say, okay, I'm just gonna stay here for the rest of my life, get married, have kids, even if we feel it, it's not something that we really desire. So how one can work through these turning points while they are sure they make it meaningful and really use the break or the blockage, even the blockage, to get to the next level of whatever. I think it's about creating a context and having clarity even if you don't have clarity. Which I know it can be like counterintuitive to how people think because when you're like foggy and confused and don't know where you're going and you're drifting, it feels like that's how that ends, you know? But the observer mind, and I was very trained That's something that people need to understand. I was very trained. Yeah, that's why I asked you the question because I none of us is like, that trained. No, none of us is that trained and none of us really, I mean, some of us. Yeah. But very, very small percentage. I was very trained and one of the things that was the hardest for me, and I'm not going to answer your question in a while. One of the things that was the hardest for me to let go of when I said no to my career with Denmark was the structure. I was having five empowering coaching calls per day with five top trainers, different trainers, different coaches, men and women. I was having a mentor. That was like a very personal relationship. The level of support structure for me to tune into what's possible and really connect with my resources and really stay positive was premium. It was like a golden medal athlete. And that's one of the things that people need to understand when they make changes in their life. They need a support structure. Change doesn't happen in a vacuum. You're all alone in the desert. Well, Jesus did it, but we're not necessarily Jesus. <laughs> And maybe it's also useful pointing out that reading Eckhart Tolle or watching YouTube motivational videos is not Useful. If you want to put salt on the wound, yes, it's not <laughs> enough. It's very superficial, although it's not superficial. Neither Eckhart Tolle or meditation or anything you do that's inspirational. But it's very superficial in relationship to the sabotaging and the limitations and the shadows that are activated in a, in a life crisis that you have to move through and go through to get yourself to a clear point. So, first of all, that was like, oh my God, where I'm going to have that structure. And I spent three years creating an internal support structure. 
so it wasn't like immediate. And so I, you created your own support structure yes. from nothing. Yes. You manifested it. Yes, it took a lot of years. And that was like one of the main things. And I knew that whatever I would do in my life, I would have to make sure I have the same level, the golden medal level of support structure. So point number one in navigating a crisis is get yourself a good support structure. Yeah. Point number two? Uh, go all the way through. Admit that there is a crisis. Activate the observer mind, the observer in you who's saying, okay, I'm in the middle of a crisis. Feels fucked up. <laughs> Sorry for the language. I'm confused. I'm drifting. I don't know where I'm going to go. But, and here comes the empowering context. But, I'm giving myself two years. I'm giving myself six months. I'm giving myself one year. I'm going to drift. I'm not going to bitch about drifting. I'm not going to invalidate myself that I'm drifting. I'm just going to drift. I'm going to really sink in into the drifting. I'm really going to be confused. I'm even going to allow myself to do crazy stuff, stupid stuff, irresponsible stuff. I'm just going to go for it. Six months, you know? And when six months hits, I'm just going to wake up from this dream <laughs> and choose something. Something that's more responsible, that's more productive, that is connected to what I've learned in those drifting time, so on and so forth. Can we describe this second point? Like trust the process and don't put pressure on yourself. But also have clarity and admit that you are in a process. I think people don't do that and they lack empowerment if they don't admit that that's where they are and they don't give themselves a deadline. You don't have to put pressure on yourself, but you can be intentional. I give myself one year to be confused. At the end of a year, no matter how confused or clear I am, I'm going to make a choice. I gave myself a year to meet God. So be intentional and set objectives. Yes. Even if it's like very vague. One year of sabbatical. It's one year. At the end of those 365 days, I'm going to show up in my first day of the new year with a life choice. And how did God look like? <laughs> <laughs> well, he showed up. He showed up. He showed up. And uh, we had coffee over five o'clock in the morning on my couch. No, I'm joking. Not necessarily, but <laughs> I'm joking. It was more a connection. I started hearing my higher self voice. I started feeling connected to my higher self. And it felt like a dialogue. But it wasn't a dialogue of the mind. And actually, the Course in Miracles was able to, to uh, take my mind and really scattered it into the million, billion scattered pieces. So my mind wasn't there anymore. And the process was intense. The process was tough. I had uh, one year of very intense chronic panic attacks. I didn't really have any medicine for them. So I was scattering a million pieces and the panic attacks were just a symptom of my emotional self needing healing and being trapped in anxiety and fear, which is a personal theme I've been, you know, discovering through this journey. And uh, being intentional also meant in that moment of time 
that I already knew that, you know, motherhood was something that was missing in my life. Not me being a mother, me having a mother. I also distinguished that I wanted to be a full-blown, profoundly impactful woman, leader. I wasn't wanting to be a man leader with a skirt. And I really figured out and understood that what wasn't really functioning for me in my old career was the masculine context I was looking at life from. And I knew that I wasn't having women that were wise and feminine and sensual, but strong and powerful and charismatic in the same time as a reference. So at that moment, I started getting clarity, not about the path or where I was going, but that I need healing and I need it from the feminine. And I started having this intention of meeting the feminine energy and meeting a spiritual woman who could really be my spiritual mother and who could teach me, facilitate for me a transmission of a sort. So you had these feelings before actually meeting anything related to the feminine? Oh yeah. It came like a void in my heart and a void in my life. If the support structure was gone, then that was a big void. And then I had to fill that void with something and it put my, my mind to test and I had to think what's missing, what's missing in my life, what's missing in my life. So what's missing was, you know, that I had to heal my wounded child. With what? With mother energy, because that was something that was missing, still is missing. I wanted and I felt a passion in my feminine side, in my femininity, and I was afraid of it, and I was judging it in the wrong ways. I felt that if I'm passionate and sexy, that would mean being a slut. So I had all these preconceptions in my psyche that just surfaced to my rational mind, and then I was like really debating, well, you know, you can be passionate, but how do you channel that passion? In what do you channel that passion? Who can be your guide? Who can be your mentor? Oh, I have no mentor. Well, can you come up with somebody who can be your mentor in the movies or in TV shows or in a book? Hell no, I don't really have a mentor. I don't even have a reference for a mentor. Oh my God, this is really missing. It was like an aha moment, not for me personally, but in itself for society. It was a personal journey back then and I wasn't really thinking of sharing anything with anybody. It was just me with myself, really putting the right questions that were connected to myself and my happiness and my fulfillment and what was missing in my life. But they were all feminine or they were all about femininity. So I wasn't really in any second of my life willing to compromise my power, my leadership, my vision, my courage, the boldness that I was having or playing big but I wasn't really willing to do it being masculine. So we can say that this was a second big turning point. Yes, while meeting God, what really was there in that context, in that spiritual context that was activated for me was this thirst for the feminine energy. And then I put the gap, I put the distance in, a, in an intention. I made a change by saying, I'm missing that. How can I create that? I didn't just get stuck there. Oh, I'm missing that. I'm a victim of that. No. How do I create that? That was my first question. 
And I said, well, now that you exist, God, you know, that also comes with miracles. So, <laughs> so now that I've met you, can you provide a miracle, please? Which would be in my search, in my travels, in, you know, all the things that I'm looking for and doing. Can you really have me meet a woman that is also both wise and feminine, both profound and vulnerable? both cool and sexy, but also have the balls of 10 men. Because that's what I need, <laughs> basically. And can she be my mother, please? Because I never had one, emotionally speaking. I think, I think it's easier meeting God. <laughs> it's easier meeting God than a woman like that? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's true. It's true. But I met her. Oh, you met her? I met her. I met her in one of my spiritual, energetic, quantic physics workshops and uh, it was a soulmate uh, encounter. We, we looked at each other in the eyes, we started crying and ever since then we've been in this amazing personal and professional journey together. And she's a shaman, she's a psychotherapist, she's a wise, feminine, profound, totally human, to the core, woman, mother, wise, guru, whatever, you know, she can be both and everything actually. And she definitely was not only a turning point in my life, but the medicine I was looking for. She was the beginning of my feminine journey. And she was the mother and the mentor I was looking for. And she came and she was like, I've been dealing with the same questions for years now. I haven't met another woman who has the same questions. I can't believe even if you're like 40 and so years younger. That's exactly how I feel, that's exactly how I think, that's exactly what I think is missing. Let's connect and we've been deeply connected ever since, like every week. And um, in her heart and in her arms and in her context, I managed to heal the broken parts of my inner child and my childhood and connected to my divine gifts. And at some point, really go further in my mission and really explore the feminine. And uh, this is how I tuned in with my divine gifts. I did a lot of inner depth work and journeying into the chambers of my soul. I imagine that if you wrote a book, now we're at the first page of the chapter called Encountering the Feminine. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, I actually started it and then it is the first page of the first chapter. <laughs> It is meeting my spiritual mother, definitely. And we went in amazing spiritual journeys in places around the world where the feminine energy is still embedded in, in, in the rocks, in the lands. Like physically? Yeah, physically, in different places like Sedona or Egypt or different parts of Asia. And. Uh, did a lot of shamanic transmissions and work and healing and activations and connection with the feminine energy because feminine energy is, has always been present. I'm very curious now because when we met and you said anything about feminine energy or femininity or divine feminine or goddess I don't know who, you were speaking Chinese to me. I mean, I had the same issue. I was missing uh, the feminine energy in my life. I was missing the mother energy in my life. My history with women was traumatizing. Of course, I didn't get through the process of consciously getting aware of what I was missing, but 
I'm curious how you felt when you first started to touch and to feel and to experience the feminine. How was it for you? Because for us, <laughs> when we start the process, consciously or unconsciously, it's like picking Chinese. Yes. What is this? Yeah, because now when when you encounter the feminine through the work that I do, it's it's a lot. It is a toolkit in itself. I worked a lot with the mother energy at the beginning, just basically connecting with the mother earth energy and grounding myself. And it was connected to my emotional traumas as a child, being grounded in my body, being connected to my body, healing the mother wound and healing my inner girl. So I worked a lot shamanically with my inner girl and with the mother energy which is one of the things that I particularly share in the feminine transmission. And it is particularly unique. Like your it, method. Like part of my method and part of what's complementary and unique about my method in relationship to other women who do feminine transmissions. Because together with my spiritual mother, as part of my healing journey, we really went deeply into healing the mother wound. And through the mother energy accessing, through the rite of the passage that the mother energy provides to the inner girl, access the different layers, archetypes, and structures of the feminine energy, which is, you know, very complex. It's Shakti with seven arms, trillions of textures and possibilities. So that's part of the journey for me. And The first divine gift that I, I encountered in my healing journey was literally working with the inner child and facilitating a space for adults to heal their inner child or activate the wonders of their inner child and bring that energy into their life. And it's something that I do. I facilitate this type of training and this type of programs. We'll have something very soon digitally, and which is like a surprise coming up. And uh, that was the first strong turning point of working with the feminine and then it came a second stage which i think we're going to talk in the next podcast right yeah exactly you you read it <laughs> your eyes were like it's enough <laughs> yeah i want to dedicate next episode entirely to your methods and how you work with the feminine But just to bring a closure to this episode, I want you to speak about the challenges you personally encountered when you started working and experiencing the feminine. Because one of the things I experienced, again, completely unawareingly, was that one thing that can happen, is not compulsory, but it can happen when you start working with the feminine energies, like you completely burn to ashes everything that you thought sturdy and fixed in your life because it's like the Kali and the Durga dance before you before you exactly first you have to destroy to burn to purify because burning is like purifying and then you start to build something new and this is can be very challenging because it's like burning down your identity in a way that's why you need a lot of support structures in a circle of sisterhood that's sacred sacred sisterhood yeah. to support that transition and yes i've seen it in in other workshops that 
are working with the feminine energy that I've also done with other women around the world that, you know, people just move into very high intense, ecstatic, vibrational, orgasmatic textures of the feminine, which is very intense. It's very hardcore training. It really destroys the ego in a way that can traumatize yeah. the, the wounded parts of yourself. It can re-traumatize you. And I've done a lot of healing work before engaging with the feminine. I really felt that I had to do a lot of inner healing work before I went on connecting with higher vibrational frequencies of the feminine. And it's what I teach. Although it doesn't promise the very sexy, cool, uh, you know, hot, uh, ecstatic orgasms all of the sudden. I really know from my own personal journey how important working in, in trusting the feminine and reconnecting with it and really understanding the feminine principle and the feminine way is very crucial and very important in the process of surrendering to the feminine and becoming feminine. And when I say becoming feminine, I'm not talking about feeling sexy and equal pay and, uh, you know, all those things that are very important that we're really trailblazing right now on a social level. I'm really talking about defining and understanding for ourselves firstly, as women, what feminine really looks like, what is a feminine lifestyle, what does that imply, and then from being feminine, which is not just looking good, right, it's having a voice, but having a voice honoring the feminine inside of you. And from that definition, bring it to the world, bring it to men, bring it to future children and future generations. So the challenges for you, what were the challenges? In meeting the feminine? In meeting the feminine. I was guided the whole time. I think the biggest challenge was letting go of the masculine weight and I never really thought it was so embedded. It was a whole reconstruction. And it was a slow process. It wasn't an easy process. I had to let go of all the ways in which I, I worked or I lived from stress, from tension, from logic, from rigidity from control and really be catapulted into a multi-dimensional, organic, natural and intuitive way of manifesting, living, expressing life, giving myself permission to be that multi-dimensional, organic, seven arms Shakti. And that was like firstly in, in, in me, in an in internal shift and then meeting from the feminine, another man and having a relationship with a man who is totally imbued in the masculine principles and, you know, showing in my Shakti energy and really educating that man to abide by the rules of the feminine if they want to abide by me. That was the second challenge. And then the third challenge, I think, was really owning and honoring that that's my life and that's how I want to live my life and how that's what I want to show to the world. Not that I wasn't ready to do that, but it is strong. It it's is like a very powerful. Yeah, and beyond the fact that it is a commitment, it is a very powerful life and you have to own that power. 
the feminine is not a wishy mushy soft pinky. That's part of the inner girl world. And the adolescent idealized version of the feminine. The feminine in its maturity, the feminine in its full-blown expression is really powerful. And I had to steady myself, teach myself, stay with myself enough so that I can get accustomed to that level of power and own it and really express life from that level. I think we can do a specific episode on the challenges of the feminine. Yes. It's now the idea that popped into my head because there are some challenges of the feminine. But now I suggest to draw a conclusion and save the rest for the next episode on the method, your method, and the particularities, the benefits, and the whole magic. I try to avoid this word, but I never succeed. It's like the magic in it. Yes. So thank you for the story, and I hope like anybody who listens will be super inspired in its own journey or in her journey or his journey and uh, thank you for sharing with us yeah thank you so much for all the questions mm-hmm.